We were in uh, John chapter 12 last week, John chapter 11 week before that, and it's kind of been this journey through the, the life of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Started with Lazarus dying and then being raised to the dead, and Mary and Martha are like, you know, just all in sorts, and then God comes and does that, and then fast forward the tape, the next chapter, Jesus comes back to visit with Lazarus, and then you have all these crowds of people coming around, kind of going, is it really true? And is, he, is, he, is Lazarus a ghost, or is he really here? And in the middle of that, Mary steals the show. It was about Lazarus and, 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 and what Jesus did, but Mary steps up and gives this offering that was beautiful, that was costly, and that, that um, released this incredible perfume. And so we find ourselves in John 13, but we're going to go back to 12 and then back to 13 because John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, did something unique. As you well know, all the Gospels are different, but John is uniquely different. Um, it's a, not a synoptic gospel, meaning it's not, you know, Luke's writing, if you want to know the chain of events in the life of Jesus, the, the gospel of Luke is the best place to find that. From beginning to end, it was as best as, you know, Dr. Luke could write down as this is how things happen in chronological order. Well, John had a different intent, and his intent was to highlight who Jesus is, that we might believe in him, and in believing, we might find life in his name the whole point of this book. And so he does something to marry two events together. It's beautiful. So with that set up, we're going to start in John chapter 13. It says, now, therefore, uh, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, um, you don't have to put that up there because I'm going to read the whole thing. So you can just put John chapter 13. I'm just going to read it out loud. That his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to, I know it's crazy, wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel which he was girded with. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus answered and said, what I am doing, you do not understand. Babe, could you close that door? But you will after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, then you will have no part in me. And Simon said, well, then Lord, dump the whole thing on me. Also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he was bathed only needs to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. When he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? And you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done. Father God, I thank you for your word. And it's such a beautiful thing to, to dive in and allow the Holy Spirit to use the words that are living and active to transform us, to help us see you, Jesus, and see what you're doing in our lives and what you've called us to. And so God, I pray for the next few moments that you would silence the things that would distract in our lives, in our mind, and God, that we would be able to hear something fresh from your spirit. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, it's interesting that there's these two events put, that, that God's put together. Um, this event of Jesus and then this event of Mary. And we're going to get back to that. Um, but before we do, I want to explain kind of what took place before this moment. Um, I love to give a bigger picture and color it so that you understand what's going on because otherwise it just seems like Jesus transported and here we are and another cool event's happening. But we know that it was uh, Jesus was living on this earth and he was walking and he was doing. And so we had Jesus and he was at Mary and Martha's house with Lazarus and they had this epic moment and that's in Bethany and that's, you know, about a mile and a half, two miles away from Jerusalem as you're coming into Jerusalem. So here we are at Bethany. And so what took place between the moment in in John chapter 12 when Mary was washing the feet of Jesus that they, his disciples and Jesus, they went up on their way to Jerusalem. And you know what you get to on your way to Jerusalem from Bethany? The Mount of Olives. And in that moment, Jesus had this epic, this epic moment. Not only did he look over Jerusalem and in Luke it says he wept for the city, But not only that, but because of all of the people, again, I'm I'm connecting some dots here, all the people that were there checking out Lazarus, oh my gosh, he is real. And again, you have a massive crowd of people and they're starting to believe because raising somebody from the dead is, 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 is more significant and more legit than, you know, healing a lame man that, you know, has never walked, although that's cool too, and a blind man, well, that's cool, but Lazarus was in the dead grave for four days, and now he's living, and so now it's like, man, and not only that, but the disciples are spreading the word that Jesus is coming to take over. His kingdom is on a rise, and see the Romans, their oppression is coming to an end, and Jesus is just the man, and so Jesus sends them out and says, get a donkey, and they're like, why, why would you want a donkey? Let's get like a, like a stallion. Come on, a white horse. Now he says, I need a donkey. And so he gets a donkey and you know the story. They come from Bethany. They walk up to the Mount of Olives. There's the donkey. And what happens now? The palm branches start waving because this is Palm Sunday. And they're rolling in from the Mount of Olives. And I have a, I have a picture for you. This is the Mount of Olives. And if you're, if you're sitting in the, uh, the upper room, which I was when I took this picture, this is the view of the Mount of Olives. And so um, th- that, if you can see all the way to the left over here, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And then that's the Mount of Olives. Next picture is... Um, what you'd see if you got a closer look at the Mount of Olives, because what the Jewish people believe is that Jesus is coming back on the Mount of Olives. And so they figure that land's going to be worth a lot of money because the closer you are to where Jesus is coming back, the more likely he will take you with him. Logical, not biblical, but logical. And so that piece of land's probably the most expensive real estate in all of the world. 
And Jewish people have purchased it and buried their relatives there. And so the entire hillside of the uh, Mount of Olives, I took this picture just a year ago. This is currently what it looks like, is a graveside, probably the most expensive graveyard in the world, of where Jesus is coming back on the Mount of Olives and all of those saints are buried there. Next picture is the picture from the Mount of Olives. And so here we are in the story uh, between John chapter 12 and John chapter 13. And Jesus is riding on a donkey. And you could picture the, the people there with palm branches. And they're coming in because Jesus clearly is coming to take over. And he goes through Gate Beautiful into the temple. He clears the temple. That's not seen in John, but in Luke, he clears the temple. It's, it's one of his, the second time. He throw, throws the tables over and all that kind of stuff. And then he lands himself with the disciples in the room that he sent them beforehand to prepare for the Lord's Supper, because it's Passover. The next picture is on their way up to the actual room that they were in. And then next is next. next. Again, it didn't look like this, obviously. Bear with me. But this is the place that it was at. It wasn't gaudy like this. They, you know, the Catholics love to do it up a little bit. So um, they, they created this place, but that's, that's the location. Um, and relatively speaking, the size of the upper room, which, again, this is where they would have had their, their time. And we're going we're gonna to sort of be in this room for John chapter 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, John chapter 17 all takes place in this room around a table. They had long conversations apparently around the table and it started with the Lord's Supper, which essentially was Jesus unpacking Passover. And we're not going to get into that just yet, but Jesus was unpacking what Passover meant. This is my body. This is my blood. And I'm breaking it for you. And he doesn't get into that in John. He goes straight to what took place right after that, which was washing their feet. But before we get to that, I want to rewind the tape and talk about how John is married. Mary washing Jesus's feet with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because because John skipped over a whole lot of really good stuff to put those things together. And I didn't mention this last week because I wanted to save it for this week, but in that culture, the, 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 the oil that, that Mary poured on the feet of Jesus not only was costly, but it, it would have been reserved for a gift or payment for a wedding. And so Mary who was not married, she would have been holding that costly oil to represent not just her future, but a future marriage and wedding for her bride. And so here she is, and she's, she is literally pouring this costly oil on her bride, her husband, Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. Uh, not her husband. We're, we're the bride of Christ. Yes. And so she's pouring the oil. She doesn't understand it, but it's prophetic to say, I am literally pouring down my future on my future Jesus. Her hair represented her dignity. And she stooped down and she literally washed Jesus's feet, washed the dirt. I mean, I showed you where they walked, just walked from. His feet were filthy. 
And this was, this was the role of a servant. And she s- sat there and washed his feet with her hair, throwing dignity aside. And so here we are in uh, John chapter 13. And Jesus now is throwing his dignity aside as he laid aside his garment, girded himself as a servant, and began to step into the same. So I'm going to read again verse 1. You can throw that up there. So now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Feet are very significant. We know that. I really am not a feet person. Raise your hand. Are you you not a feet person? Anybody with me? I'm just like, listen, I don't mind your feet, but I ain't going to touch them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and when, and, and you know, like my mother-in-law loves to go to those like um, feet massage places, you know, where you put them in the cold water or the warm water and they kind of just like rub your, the bottoms of your feet. Because apparently feet are significant, not just so you don't topple over, but because there's things about your feet that are connected to every part of your body. And if you've ever been to like a chiropractor, a lot of times they'll start with the feet. A lot of times they'll push on areas because it's all connected. The feet are connected to the wholeness of the body. It's a very interesting thing. And so here they are, and, and, um, and, and Jesus is, is washing their feet. And he just talked about the blood of Jesus that washes your sin. And then he takes the dirtiest part of them and says, let me wash this. And he says, you don't know what I'm doing right now. And Peter's like, you're not washing my feet. And he goes, no you don't understand the symbolism here. I am washing the dirt away. I am, I am literally taking the dirtiest part of your body, by the way, the thing that's connected to everything else going on in your body, and I am washing that thing away, all the dirt, all the gum, all the scum. You're already clean, but I'm taking all of the shame and all of the regret and all of the stuff that you carry, and I'm washing that away one foot at a time. The symbolism, right? And literally Jesus did it, right? Because the next verse is right after supper. He he stepped up. Literally did it right after communion. This is my blood. This is my body. Now give me your feet. Let me show you. Let me show you how this is done. See, I didn't come to overthrow the ruler of the Roman Empire, I came to overthrow that thing in you that keeps you captive. And so I came to demonstrate something by washing your feet. And oh, by the way, Mary stole the show just days ago by washing my feet and preparing me for something. So here's Peter and he's like, no, I'm not good with that. I am not good with my savior of the world kneeling down and washing my feet. I, listen, I earned this dirt. These feet, they're nasty. I earned every bit of it. And so you ain't touching them. I don't even want you smelling them, much less washing them, getting in between those toes. You know what I'm saying? When you actually take your shoes off, it's just nasty. <laughs> Heather washes her feet before she gets in bed every single night. And I'm like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm just taking the shoes off and I'm slipping them under the covers. <laughs> I really don't want to even touch my feet. They're just gross. <laughs> and Peter's like, no. 
Unfortunately, we do the same. We, we hide in shame. We don't want him looking at and touching all of the junk that we earned. That's not... And so we say, no, 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 I'll just keep it over here and we'll just keep it silent and quiet and we'll just pretend it's not there and love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for all you did. But I don't want you touching my feet. It's too dirty. It's too gross. And we're just like Peter in that. And we discount, listen to me, just like Peter, we discount the powerful, redemptive, complete work of the cross by saying, listen, Jesus, like I get it. You got to wash all of me, but like, not there. That, those places in me, I don't think that your work in me is complete enough to touch those places. And so we think we're playing the martyr by just living our life and we're sort of part healed. And Jesus is like, no, your feet are connected to every part of your body and I have washed them completely. Don't you dare p- pull that away from me like Peter did. So that line stood out to me. And this is the part that I had never seen before. And that's that it says he loved them to the end. And we know this kind of love. We know this is not worldly love. This is agape love. This is, this is heaven sent love. This is, this is a love. That's the love that Paul talks about. You can't comprehend it. You will never understand it. You would literally explode if God like gave you all of the knowledge of his love. So it's little bit by little bit. It's too wide. It's too high. It's too deep. It's the love of God. And he says, I loved them to the end dot, 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 and then he stood up and acted on that kind of love. And it stood out to me, and I, and I, I found myself in um, chapter connected the two, but Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 connects this love, and this is what it says about it. And walk in love as Christ loved, agape loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering. And I thought to myself, I've heard that before. That whole fragrant thing? Yeah, I've heard that before. And so I went back in my Bible. And I thought, wait a minute. John just married two events together. This sounds a lot like what took place in John chapter 12. So let me read it. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So I'm thinking to myself like, okay, there's fragrance and I know that that wasn't in there just because the the oil was cool. We know that we are the fragrance of Christ. The Bible says that in Corinthians that we are the fragrance of Christ. And so there's something about this fragrance that's released when the kingdom of God is released. Because Jesus said, no, that act right there, that's something special. What Mary did is unique and it will always be accompanied by the gospel because this fragrance that it released changed the atmosphere. And so if that was powerful, so now Jesus is doing something very similar and it's this love that's releasing this fragrance. And I thought to myself, I wrote this down, you can put it up there. Mary's offering was a sweet smelling fragrance because she was willingly and joyfully pouring out 
her costly love on Jesus. This is what made it fragrant. See, Mary's offering wasn't fragrant. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Martha's uh, offering was not. She was serving, remember? She was, she was blaming her sister for not doing anything. She's working her salvation out, and Jesus didn't point to that and said it's beautiful. But Mary's offering, because it was from the overflow of the heart, created this beautiful sacrifice. And we talked about that all last week, this beautiful sacrifice. That's what made it fragrant. Remember I talked to you um, about when there's a debt-debtor relationship in a, in a um, when there's a debt-debtor relationship in a marriage, that it's impossible to recognize unconditional love. Because if you owe me, you can't love me. If you owe me those flowers, it's not an act of love, it's your job. And so when you have this you owe me thing, it changes the aroma of what's released. And Mary and, and Martha thought she owed Jesus because she's so bad, you can't wash my feet. And so I must do something for you. And it changed what was released. But Mary, it wasn't a debt-debtor relationship. It wasn't I owe you. It was I can't help myself. I love you so much, I can't help myself. And so unconditional love, this unique agape love was released. And so now we see Jesus and he's releasing something. See, he's washing their feet. And we think like, oh, that's a cute story. He's washing their feet because he wants us to learn how to serve one another. And it's like, what a cool demonstration of how we should serve one another. And I think that's applicable. I think that there's so much, so much, something so much deeper going on here. And that is the love that was released by this act where Jesus, because of a want to, a love and a desire and a delight, to care for his kids in this way, it released this kind of aroma that changed the atmosphere. This is my blood that I pour out for you. This is my blood. And oh, by the way, no one takes my life. I give it. Mary, no one took this perfume from me. No one told me, hey, you better show up with the best sacrifice because you know what Jesus has done for you. And I, I want to make sure it's your very best, Mary. No. No one told her. She just showed up with the very best thing she's got. And if I had more, I would pour that out. And so Jesus shows up and he says, this is my blood and this is my body. And oh, by the way, no one told me I had to do this. I did it because I love you so much. And oh, by the way, let me take the dirtiest thing about you and let me wash those things clean. And you need to know as I hold your foot that this is a delight for me. This is a want to, not a have to. It's the first time I've ever seen it. It changes the way that you see your sinfulness, bringing it to God. When the recipient of it is saying, it is my greatest delight to free you from the things that hold you back. You don't have to apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, my feet reek right now. I'm sorry. I had those old shoes and I should have sprayed them. And I was like, I'm really sorry. God, I can't believe you're touching those things. This is how we treat Jesus. I can't believe that you have to wait in there on my junk. I'm so sorry. 
And half the time we're taking it back from him. Like, I don't want you touching that. It's so gross and I feel so bad. You don't deserve this. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. It's my delight. I love you so much. If I had more to give, I would give it. The disciples were like, Mary, this is ridiculous. You should not be giving this kind of a gift. We could do so much more with that. Mary's like, wild horses could not pull me away from this moment. And Jesus said, that's a sweet aroma. And so John marries these two events and he says, this is what it looks like for somebody to give an offering to God out of the overflow. And then, most importantly, this is what it looks like for Jesus to give the same offering back to us with the same spirit. No, I want to. I give my life freely because of this ridiculous love that I have for you. It's not gross for me to hold the dirt because I've paid for it. It's not gross. It's a delight that I get to set you free. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I've heard this preached like, oh, the joy is like Jesus finally going back to heaven because, you know, being down here with the, you know, the peons, uh, was just a bummer for him. And he just couldn't wait to get back to his father. And it's just like, that's such a bad translation and interpretation. The joy set before him wasn't to go, go be back in heaven by himself. He told us that in, in, in John chapter 14. I go pre- to a, prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be. It was always about getting us with him. And so the joy that was set before him was whatever I'm doing is getting me closer to being with you. You are the joy. You are the joy. How would this change our lives if we believed it? How would this change our lives if we believed it? If we woke up every day and we picture, just like we picture Mary with this like just bursting joy and love that's overflowing in this service. And we view Jesus in the same light as he comes to us every day and he washes us with the word and he renews us and he sanctifies us and he loves on us because he wants to. Not because you're so dirty and it's like, hey, I love you and you can't be near me with all that stuff, so let me just hose you off real quick. It's like he's at a distance with this big old, you know, fire hose and he's like, let me just get you from a distance and then you can come. No, he's coming near. He's grabbing our feet. He's washing with his own hands and he's saying, this is my love. This is my delight. If I had more, I would give it. Ephesians chapter two, verse four, four and five says this, but God who is rich in mercy... I think oftentimes we say, but God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. But it wasn't because of his mercy. We know he's rich in mercy. That's the statement. He is rich in mercy. And then he says, because of his love, he made us alive. 
It wasn't his mercy that made us alive. It was his love poured out upon us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, so we got to turn the corner here if I can pull myself together. We're going to turn the corner and we're going to land the plane on on this last statement in verse 12 because Jesus didn't leave it there and we can't leave it there because it's not just about the sacrifice that Mary gave and that Jesus gave because he commissioned these guys before they even knew what commissioning meant. In verse 12, he says, do you know what I've done for you? And then in verse 15, he says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And then he says a bunch of other things in the next number of chapters that we're going to go through. He goes to the cross. He raises from the dead. He finds his disciples, restores Peter. And then they find themselves on the same mountain. And he says this in Acts chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. When they were, I'm sorry, go back to the last one. Acts chapter 1, and for the sake of time, he's meeting with his disciples on this mountain. And he's expressing to them, and you guys know the story. Go and wait for the promise that's going to come, the Holy Spirit. Go and wait. And he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. This This is this moment on this mountain. And then he goes up into the clouds. This is like, 45 days earlier from the time that they were on this mountain for the first time and says, hey, get a donkey and let's go to the mountain or let's go to the upper room. So the next verse. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they stayed. Here's what I want to connect for you. It's the same room that they had just spent all of that time. It's the same room that they had the Passover for the very first time with Jesus. It's the same room that Jesus washed their feet. It's the same room they had this epic moment. And Jesus was like, guys, I did this as an example because I'm going to release something into you to go and do as I did. And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. They still thought he was going to come and, you know, take over the Roman Empire at at that moment. Until the centurions came to the garden, they still thought Jesus was on the way to the throne. So they had no idea what Jesus meant. But when he visited him on that mountain and he said, I want you to go back to that room. You remember that room? You remember when we had those moments? And remember when I said things that you didn't understand? I want you to go back there because I want to do through you what I did in you. The forgiveness of Jesus always leads us to participate in the mission of God. Will you put that up for me? The forgiveness of Jesus always leads us to participate in the mission of God. What I love about this moment is that there was something released with Mary and it was a sweet aroma and it was a sacrifice. There was something released with Jesus as he poured his life into his disciples with this delight 
and he touched on every one of their lives in the midst of touching those feet because you know Jesus was the best chiropractor ever and he knew those sweet spots to, to push on. I mean, he was like putting in these, these guys into alignment as he was, as he was massaging these feet. He's like, oh, that's one, ah, you know, and he was just working it, right? He was bringing wholeness to their entire body. He was elevating their status by kneeling down and wiping off the dirt and speaking, speaking uh, uh, confidence and authority and identity into them. And then he says, hey guys, I'm leaving. Remember all that cool stuff I did for you? Yeah, now you get to do it for others. And as you do, something will be released into the atmosphere and it will be a sweet aroma. And so they went into that room and they hung out and they prayed and they loved one another. And they served one another. And as they did, the Holy Spirit was released. When we kneel down and we care for and we love others because we want to, because it's an overflow, because we care for the dignity and identity of others as it's been done to us, something is released in the atmosphere in the same way it was in those other rooms. And we are empowered and we are emboldened and the Holy Spirit uses those moments like never before. And so today we should hear Jesus saying, do as I did to you unto others. What does that look like? takes understanding that there's something inside of us that has been deposited by a loving Savior. And when Jesus left, he left us with one simple command. And it wasn't, hey, go get more, fo- go, go, go get more filled up. Hey, go into the upper room and get more knowledge. Hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to every conference you can and every seminar, I need you to attend every single Bible study, and I need you to become so knowledgeable that you will impress everyone. He poured his life out. Mary poured everything she had out. And then he met with his disciples on the mountain and he said, okay, guys, I recognize that you don't feel ready. I recognize that you feel woefully Incomplete. I, I would imagine that the moment Jesus started hovering, I, I don't know how fast he hovered up into the air, but if he was going slow, I would have grabbed his leg. Like, no, you don't. You can't leave us. And he's like, it's to your advantage. What are you talking about? It's to your advantage. It's not, we need you here. You're the miracle worker. Everything that we've done has flowed through you. And now you're leaving. And Jesus says, you don't understand. Go back to that room, that place that I met you, that place that I restored you. And I want you to wait. And I want you to realize that now you are the ambassador for that same goodness. I don't feel ready. I'm still incomplete. My feet are still dirty. It's okay. The Holy Spirit's all you need. But don't you dare keep that for yourself. Don't you dare walk around and, and, and look for the next moment to get your feet washed. Like sometimes that's what the church is. It's like we wander around looking for the next feet washing place. Of course, with COVID, they're all closed. But like, you know, we're looking. Where's the next moment that I can get my feet washed again? Because they're still dirty. And Jesus is like, listen, I already washed your feet. 
I need you to go find other people and I need you to kneel down and I need you to wash their feet. I need you to look them in the eyes and I need you to say, listen, I was just like you. And in some respects, I still am. You know what the difference is? Jesus. So let me, let me touch on those places in your life that are broken and believe by the Holy Spirit something's going to change. And I promise you, I know this is true about my own life. I know this was true about the disciples. Every time you wash somebody's feet, Jesus washes you again. Every time. It is a beautiful thing. As we pour out unto others, Jesus continues to wash us. And so we're commissioned. Go into all the world and serve the identity of others. Looking them in the eye and saying, you have identity and you have dignity and you have purpose. I love you. Father God, I thank you for today and I thank you for the privilege that we have to not only be recipients of the sacrifice that you poured out on us with delight and great joy, but now, Father, we can be the conduit to others as you have sent us and empowered us by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask you that your voice would be louder than the one from the enemy that would condemn us and say we're not ready and say we have nothing to offer. And we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and listening to your voice and following your lead as you lead us into the conversations and the moments that you give us all along the way with our family and with our friends and our colleagues and our coworkers to be the life of Jesus unto others. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.